Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Welcome this morning to Faith Assembly. Great to have everyone here today and uh, exciting to be in church. I heard you had a great Sunday morning last Sunday with Pastor Jason, brought a powerful word, uh, a word, a timely word, a word this body needed to hear last Sunday. We're in the book of Romans. We're in this uh, middle portion of the book, Romans chapter 10. It's all about that inverted life. You know, when Christ comes in, he turns everything upside down. He radically changes every part of our life. And he gives us a brand new mission and a brand new assignment. I want you to take your Bibles out, turn to Romans chapter 10, and we'll begin with verse number one. And last stand together for the reading of God's word today. Romans chapter 10 and verse number one. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know that righteousness comes, that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be, right, there, there may be righteousness for everyone who believes." Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for what we're about to discover and learn as a church family, a church body here this morning. And I pray, God, if there's someone here today who has not yet understood what the gospel of Christ is all about this morning, they'll they'll make that step of faith and receive you into their hearts and lives. I pray the word of God will find fertile ground for every one of us. And you will continue to raise up a body of courageous believers and we'll give you the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great and then you may be seated. God bless you. Look at verse number two again. It says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous. Everybody say zealous. Zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. I want to tell you, if there's anybody who was zealous, it was the Apostle Paul. He was zealous before he was saved. He was zealous after he was saved. He was zealous when it came to persecuting the church. He was zealous, as he would say, for God, but he didn't even have a knowledge of who God was. He went about all he could do to stamp out the church of the Lord. He was there at the stoning of the very first martyr, a man's name by the name of Stephen, and right there he is holding the coats, and he's, he's cheering the crowd on, and he's right there. The very first Christian martyr in human history, the Saul of Tarsus, is right there the entire time. The Bible says he went about with papers and documents trying to find believers and catch them and throw them into prison, and whoever he couldn't take captive, he would kill right then on the spot. He would later call himself a murderer and a blasphemer. He was zealous he was passionate about wiping out the church zealous but he says i was zealous for god but he said i there are those who are zealous for god but they don't have the knowledge of god and then something happens he's on the road to damascus 
He has in his hands the papers to gather the Christians together and throw them into prison. He's got the executive orders in his hands. And on the way, on the journey, something happens. The glory of God comes down on that scene. And the Bible said there is a light that was so bright it knocked him to the ground. And he was struck blind from that for the next three days. Saul of Tarsus would be a blind man. He would have to be led back into the city of Damascus where he was on his way to. And the voice that came that cried out from heaven that day said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He thought he was stamping out the church. He thought he was getting rid of the radicals, but it was, he was persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God himself. And he has that divine encounter. That divine encounter would change everything about Saul of Tarsus's life. He says in verse number four, Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the culmination of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Everything in the law and prophets is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Saul would discover that he is the answer for every question in life. Uh, Saul would discover that he is the answer for the purpose of man. He is the end of our searching. He is our reason for being. It is all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul discovers that on that road to Damascus. Now his zeal would be based on knowledge. Now his whole life mission would change. And he says in verse number one, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites may be saved. My mission on earth is that every Jew might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He jumps down in verse number 13. He goes on to add, in fact, I would that everyone would be saved, both Jew and Gentile alike. And so we come to chapter 10. And in this chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is going to articulate the message uh, and show that everybody needs to be saved. Uh, and he's going to show us the mission that he was given and the mission that I believe every single one of us have today. And we're going to get into that mission. He's going to give us the message. What is the central point of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is our message when we go out? And he's even going to give us the method with which we take the message to those who are all around us. So I, this morning, I want this message to be very practical to every one of us. I want you to take your notes out, jot them down. I'm going to give you some scriptures that you can take with you that will help you as you share this message. What does it mean to be a courageous Christian? You know, the danger is for us as we read the Word of God, we look at the Apostle Paul, we look at all he did, we look at his letters, we see his theology, we, we study all of that, and we look at Peter, and we hear about his lives, and we read about him, and we look at the early apostles, and we begin to think in our own minds that these are super Christians, but this is not for me. They were the extraordinary men of God, women of God, but I'm just a normal ordinary, average Joe. But I will tell you the reality is every single one of us have the very same mission the Apostle Paul had. And that's to take the gospel to everybody. It's not just for us. It's not just for me and my family. It's not just for my own comfort and my own assurance of heaven. It is not there as super Christians out there somewhere and then what we call normal Christianity. I want to propose to you this morning, the Word of God lays out what normal Christianity should look like for every single child of God. You cannot get to the Gospels, you can't get to the letters, the epistles, without beginning to see what a normal Christian life should look like. 
This is not the exception. It's to be the norm for every single one of us. It's not some rarefied, exceptional superhero, but the pattern and passion for every single child of God. I want you to jump down in chapter 10. Look at verse number 6 and 7. He says, but the righteous, but the righteous that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the depth, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. Listen, child of God, do not say, who will go to the depths Who will go into the ghetto? Who will reach the lost? Who will go to where they are? The Bible says it's in your mouth. If you're the righteous, if you have the faith of the living God inside of you, don't say who's going to descend to the lowest parts of the earth, who's going to go to the highest heavens, who's going to go out and share the word. He says in verse number eight, the word is in you, it is in your mouth. What are you doing about it? Do not say, do not say, but I will tell you to do this, it takes courage. Don't be a spiritual wimp. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. No such thing as a secret agent Christian. In fact, every person who knows you, I don't mean you just met yesterday in the restaurant, But every person who knows you on any kind of level ought to already know you're a Christ follower. That ought to be very evident. They ought to know from the very get-go that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single child of God. Why? Because first of all, as a child of God, my behavior and my attitudes are radically different from the world. It's that inverted life. It is the total opposite of everything we see all around us. And number two, it shouldn't be very long uh, before your conversation comes to Jesus Christ uh, because he's all you can talk about. He's all you can sing about. He's all you are. He's changed us. He's the answer for every single problem and need in my life. Uh, Therefore, it's going to come out. Uh, And so everybody that knows you ought to know you are a Christ follower. It ought to just be part of it. No closet Christians. Paul was not a closet Christian. He was anything but. He was a courageous Christian. He would not let anything stop him from telling people about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether he was in the synagogues or in the marketplace or on the street corner, all he could do was talk about Jesus. Whether his crowd was Jewish or Gentile, all he could do was talk about Jesus Christ. Whether he stood between, before the religious leaders uh, and the Sanhedrin, uh, or he stood before kings uh, and rulers in the land, uh, all he could do was talk about Jesus Christ. He was a, a courageous believer. Even if it meant prison, even if it meant death, he would not be silenced. Now, let's look at us. Where do we get that courage from? If this is my life's mission, as it was for the Apostle Paul, how do we become courageous Christians? I want to give you five things, and you have your outlines. You can turn over and follow along and jot down with me this morning. Number one, 
I believe to be a courageous Christian, you need to be consumed by the Holy Spirit. Consumed by the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. I want you to look at Paul's conversion. At this time, he's called Saul of Tarsus. In chapter 9, it describes him on his journey to Damascus. That light comes down, knocks him down. The voice comes, why are you persecuting me? And Saul is blinded. He's led into Damascus. Now, as I was studying this chapter, there's not a whole lot said about his conversion. Now, there is. He will talk about it many, many times. But it doesn't tell you how he was saved. It didn't tell you he prayed this prayer or repeated these words or, or did this thing. The moment he realizes it's Jesus Christ he needs and he makes that conversion in his own life, it's all about the mission. From the very outset of his salvation, on the very road to Damascus and even on into Damascus, the focus shifts from his own salvation to the mission that God was given him. So the moment you are saved, you are saved with a mission. Right away, there's not a waiting period, there's not a time period before you can open your mouth and tell somebody what Jesus did for you. You immediately are saved with an assignment. Look at verse number six. It says, you will go into Damascus and you will be told what to do. You'll be given your marching orders. Just just do what I'm telling you to do. Right now, you're going to have an assignment. Get ready and head on in there. His conversion immediately came with an assignment. Jump down to verse number 15. Look at it, if you would, with me right now. But the Lord said to Ananias, go This man is my chosen instrument. You see, you were saved by God not to be a pew sitter, but to be a chosen instrument. You, look at yourself, you. You're a chosen instrument by God. Isn't that cool? To carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and to show the people of Israel. Israel. You have a divine assignment. Now, here's the deal. To carry out that chosen instrument, divine assignment that God has given us, I believe every child of God needs the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because he tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he gives the purpose of the baptism, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the logic is, if I'm going to be God's chosen instrument to, to carry out his assignment, his purpose for my life, how can I do that? Where does the strength come from? Where does the power come from? It comes from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit of God, because I can't do that God stuff on my own okay and so we see there that in acts chapter 9 he is going to be filled with the holy spirit he sent me to see uh, look at verse number uh 17 then ananias went into the house he entered in placed his hands on saul he said brother saul the lord jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul's converted on the road, but he's going to need the power, along with his eyesight back. That would help a lot too. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse number 16 when he's given this assignment. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Not only is he given 
a divine assignment, but he's also going to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know when it says in Acts chapter 1-8, and you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, do you know that word for witness is also the same word for martyr? And he says that witness will even cause you to lay down your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are going to be a martyr for me. You are going to be my witnesses, uh, and it's going to even lead you into suffering. Uh, and so he talks about the sufferings Paul endured. He was beaten on his back. He was stoned. Uh, he was in prison. He was shipwrecked. He said, I'm in danger in and out of danger. I'm constantly in or out of danger. And had it not been for the presence of the Holy Spirit of God... I don't know if Paul could have survived all of that. But he withstood the suffering and the agony and the beatings and all that he went through because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul describes his prayer life and he talks about this, what made him courageous, what made him stand, what made him stand in the midst of all this kind of suffering, what made him such an incredible apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. In verse 18, he says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than ye all. So he describes this continual connection with the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit of God praying through him. And so when Ananias lays hands on him and he is filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9, then he talks about in, Acts, in 1 Corinthians 14 about his prayer life, about his intercessions, about his seeking the Lord. And then he writes the Ephesians and he says in Ephesians 6 and verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and request and so he's writing the ephesian church he says you need that power you need that connection you need to be consumed by the holy spirit of god because you're going to face persecution you're going to face obstacles you need to be powerful bold witnesses so pray in the spirit on all occasions and in verse 19 he says uh, i that i that i may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel the holy spirit the Holy Spirit gives me that power to be that courageous Christian. The Holy Spirit gives me the power to stand up in times of adversity. And he writes in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. It's in times of persecution. If you want to be courageous and stand for the Lord, uh, it's when that baptism in the Holy Spirit gives you that power to make it. To talk about the Lord Jesus Christ when others may laugh at you, when they may taunt you, when they may come against you, when they may isolate you, when they may cast you aside, we need that power of the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Turn back two pages. I want to read about a man, but sometimes we miss some words here. Acts 7 and verse 55. His name was Stephen. And you see the persecution he is under, and he is going to be the first martyr, the first witness or martyr, either word. And it says in Acts 7 and verse number 55. But Stephen, look at the next words, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, courageous Christian, why? Full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Listen, when you think you can't survive the taunts uh, and the ridicule and the tax, uh, be full of the Holy Spirit. When you think, how can I possibly forgive them? Because Stephen would say, forgive those who are throwing the rocks. And you say, I can't forgive them for what they did to me. Be full of the Holy Spirit. And you can forgive. How can I see God in the midst of my suffering? And the Bible said he looked up and he saw God standing, Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the throne. How can we see God in the midst of our suffering? Be full of the Holy Spirit. How can we be a bold witness in any situation, in any difficulty, and even in the midst of a hostile crowd, be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you want to be a courageous Christian, be consumed by the Holy Spirit of God. And you see that in Paul's life, you see it in Stephen's life, you see it in Peter's life, you see it all throughout the New Testament. Number two, if you're going to be a courageous Christian, you need to have compassion for the lost compassion for the lost. Look at verse number one again. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now, Paul, Paul would be called himself an apostle to the Gentiles. He would enter the city. Any city he went to, we go to the metropolitan areas where the people were at, and he would uh, make those centers for the gospel, and he would always start in the synagogue. He would go to the synagogue, first of all, because he himself was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, he was a Jewish leader. He was one of the, uh, the very top echelon of the Pharisees in his day and age. And so Paul has a particular affinity for his own people because he knows they are entangled in the same stronghold that he himself was once in. But time and time again, every time he would go into the synagogue, they would eventually throw him out as a blasphemer. And he would be thrown out of the synagogue, and finally he would say, now I'm going to the Gentiles. But time and time again he would try. Every city he would go into, he would go into the synagogue, only a few days later be thrown out of the synagogue. And he's probably thinking if they can only see, if they can only understand, if the blinders will only come off of their eyes, and you begin to get a sense with the Apostle Paul that his heart is broken for the spiritual blindness and hardness of the heart of his Jewish brothers. Now I want to ask this a question. Does our heart really break for lost people anymore? Does it really break? A lot of people don't really desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they don't really care about lost people. They don't need it. Does our heart really break for the lost? We hear the statistics of the earthquake just a few months ago in Nepal, and we see numbers of 8,000 plus, and, and, but it doesn't really dawn on us that it's probably 7,500, 800 people that immediately went into eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. We see a tsunami wipe out the Philippines and we forget and we see all the loss and all the tragedy and we hear about it and we see it on television and we immediately forget that most of those went in eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear the news of 
radical Islamic attacks in Tunisia this last week, in France last week, in Kuwait last week. Uh, ISIS now is taking credit for all those acts of terrorism and they are killed on the spot. And yet do we really grieve because they are slipping into eternity, most of them without the Lord Jesus Christ? And while we mourn with Emmanuel AME Church and we mourn for their families, and we mourn for that church, and we mourn for our city, and we grieve, I would believe we can also rejoice that in all likelihood uh, they were at a Bible study, and immediately those nine people went immediately into the presence of the Lord. What a difference Jesus makes. He makes all the difference. And we hear the news and we read the statistics and we see what's going on around us and does our heart break and do we grieve? Does our heart break as our nation moves further and further away from our Judeo-Christian heritage? Even to the very core of our oldest covenant relationship, marriage itself. As established by God from the very beginning, Lawmakers and Supreme Courts can say what they may, but God has told us what marriage is all about. I was sitting in the airport Friday morning, and I was just, they have CNN playing in all the airports, and I'm sitting there watching this. Our president takes the podium and he makes the announcement and he gives his speech about how far we've come. And my heart broke. My heart broke for where America's heading to. Do we grieve? Does our heart break? And as Paul remembers the nation of Israel, as he thinks about his friends who are still in Judaism, who are still Pharisees, who are still bound by that religious bondage they were in of thinking uh, they were serving for God but not knowing God at all. The Bible says his heart breaks. He's filled with compassion. I believe if we're going to be courageous Christians in this generation, our hearts got to do some breaking. We got to do some breaking. Can't be business as usual. Our hearts got to be torn apart. Number three, I believe to be courageous Christians, we got to comprehend the power of the gospel. Look, if you would, at verse number 9. He picks up the chapter there. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Now there you have the gospel. And Paul understands that a lot of religious people don't get it. He says the Jews just don't get it. They think they're good works. They think keeping the law, they think their religion will make them okay with God, but they don't get it. But I will tell you, a lot of people today don't get it, and they're sitting right in our churches. They don't 
understand that you can't earn your salvation. I don't care how good you may think you are. They don't understand that it doesn't come through your family heritage, that that because mom and dad were believers, then I must be a believer, and I grew up in America, and I grew up in a Christian home, uh, so I'm okay, and you're okay, and we're all Christians, and they don't get it. He told Nicodemus, he said, it's not enough to be born uh, of blood. Uh, You've got to be born by the Spirit of God. They don't get it. I don't understand that it doesn't come by attending church and coming week after week. It can become another religious activity, but that alone will not save you. Uh, The only way, he says, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That confession that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is Lord, uh, and he is risen from the dead, the apostle Paul says in verse number 9. And we must call upon his name, verse number 13. He's the one who paid the price. He's the one who died in my place. Uh, He is the one who won my victory in rising from the dead. And in Christ Jesus, I am forgiven. And so I believe it in my heart. I confess it with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that is the way I am saved today. Now, if we are going to be courageous Christians, to, if we're going to uh, effectively communicate this gospel message to all of our friends uh, and the people we work with and, and, the, and the people in our neighborhoods, uh, we've got to understand the essence of the gospel. We've got to comprehend it. Don't get caught up in a trap of do's and don'ts. Don't start your list by telling somebody to be a Christian, well, you can't do this list of things, and these are the things you can do, and if you do all these things, then you're going to be okay, and this is what we do at our church, and don't get caught up in the do's and don'ts. Uh, The Holy Spirit is able to come in. He can transform their life. He can change them. Uh, All you got to say is, call upon Jesus. Just cry out to him. Uh, Bring them to Jesus. Courageous Christians comprehend the gospel. And number four, courageous Christians then are compelled to bring the good news to everybody they see. Look at verse number 14. Pick it up there if you would. How then can they call upon the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. People don't accept Christ in a vacuum. They don't wake up one morning and never having heard about the Lord Jesus Christ say, hey, i got to get saved today. Better confess Jesus is my Lord. If they have never heard the good news to begin with. If they've never had the message preach to them or taught to them. Now they may, like the prodigal son, be in a far country and they may come to themselves, the Bible says, uh, but he also realized that he had a father back at home uh, who was a loving father and he could always go home at any time, morning, noon, or night. And so he came to himself, the Bible says, and he left the far country and he went back home. And there are those who can be saved uh, anywhere around this land, around the world today, who, but they at some point have had to heard about Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they won't know the way into Father's house. Now, Paul's logic is simple. He says, if we have received the good news, uh, then we must tell, we must send, and we must go. Everybody say that with me. Tell, send, 
and go. And these three things come out in these verses right here. He says, because faith comes by hearing. How can they be saved unless they hear? How can they have the faith to believe unless they first hear? Faith comes by hearing. Now let me tell you something. Uh, You know the name of our church. It is faith. Faith Assembly. Great church name. But listen, the name of our church, faith, involves telling, sending, and going. Because faith comes by hearing. We are a missional church. We cannot be content to go through the motions and come in here and feel good Sunday after Sunday. We can't look for ways to improve our own club that we have right now. We can't look at ways to maintain the status quo and change very little along the way or change the style or go from one form to another. We need a full-scale revolution led by courageous Christians who have a manifesto that we will connect people to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through any means possible uh, that they might experience the same life we have. Courageous believers. Courageous Christians doing what God has told us to do. I want to give you practical principles. Jot these down. They're not in your notes. I wrote these down last night. I want this to be very, very practical to you. I want you to get this. Number one, keep it loving. If we're going to share the good news, how do you do that? You're saying, Pastor, how do I do this? I know I need to. I'm convicted right now in my heart. haven't been witnessing. haven't been talking like I need to. How do I go about doing it? Let me give you four things very quick. Jot it down. Number one, keep it loving. Keep it loving. Don't be pushy. Approach them with love. You're not out to win an argument. You're not out to prove your point. You're not out to prove you're better than they are because you have already arrived somehow along the way, but you start with love, and love opens up the door. And as a church, we need to always be loving all those around us, Uh, look for ways to show love, do acts of kindness, and that will begin to open up their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love opens the door. Number two, keep it real. Keep it real. Drop all the Insider Club logo. We've got our own language in here. They don't understand that language out there. Drop the Insider Club lingo. Drop all the better than thou's. Drop the condescending attitudes. Grace is the only reason we're saved, uh, and grace is the only thing that can save anybody else uh, because we're pretty much all sinners. In keeping it real, there is power in your testimony. You've got a story of how you are lost and now have been found. You were blind, but now you see, and Christ came in and radically inverted your life and changed everything about you. Number three, keep it straight. God is for you. God is for you. Share that with them. God's not against you. He's for you. Number two, God forgives me and you. Include yourself in that. God forgives me and he forgives you. 
Number three, God can change me and he can change you. Keep the focus on your own weaknesses, not their brokenness. It's not about jumping on them and proving you're better than them and in a moment they can sniff out spiritual superiority and it will turn them off like that. They know they're broken. You're broken. God can forgive me and he can also forgive you. And number four, keep it simple. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. In fact, let me just give you some things and jot these down. We're in Romans 10, 9, and 10. I read it to you. When I share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ, I usually take them through the Romans road. For me, it's the easiest. I stay in one book. It's very simple. And if you don't have your Bible, these are four or five scriptures you need to memorize. Just have them on the top of your head. And so jot these down. Jot down Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They all fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. And so this is the first scripture you're going to establish. You're going to go from, they, they know that, they've experienced that, but they see it in God's word or they hear it from you. They hear you speaking the word of God and they begin to understand, I have a problem that I'm a sinner. And until they understand they have a problem, they won't know they need to be saved. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then jump three chapters later, go to Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So our wages, my sin earned me something. My sin earned me death. I use these scriptures when I pray with somebody at the altar. I use these scriptures when I'm out there witnessing on the streets. I use these scriptures when I'm sitting next to somebody in an airplane. Wherever I go, whatever I do, when I'm sharing my faith in Christ, I'm taking him through the Romans road. Very, very simple. I keep it simple for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. Take him to Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so now you begin to share the way out of man's dilemma. Christ gave his life for me. He took my place. He died for me while I was still a sinner. And then jot this last scripture down. It's the one in our text today, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. It tells us exactly what a man, woman, boy, girl needs to do to be saved. Believe in their heart that Christ rose from the dead. Believe that he is Lord and confess it with your mouth. You shall be saved. And then you say, would you like to do that? I can pray with you right now. We can confess right now that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, I will even help them. Sometimes I don't always. I say, would you like to pray? I give them the opportunity first. If they stand around, I say, let me help you. Let me lead you in prayer. I'll even lead them in prayer. But it's that confession with their mouth. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now listen, it's simple. What I'm saying is, Anybody in the building can do that. But do we care? Are we full of the Holy Spirit? Are we compelled by love to tell them they need Christ? Keep it it simple. That's the reason we go into the juvenile detention centers. That's the reason we go into the nursing homes every Sunday morning 
Because it says in verse 14, how can they call on the one if they've not believed? It's the reason we feed people at our food bank. Hundreds of people come through every other week and receive groceries and food. It's the reason we give pregnancy tests at our pregnancy center. Because it says in verse 14, how can they believe in whom they've not heard? And we're showing love. And then we share the gospel. The reason we're launching a new church in Goose Creek on September the 14th. Why? Because verse 14 tells us, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And so I have a preacher. His name is Tyler Still. And we're going into Goose Creek. And we're going for all the unchurched in Goose Creek. And we're going to go to every home and every neighborhood and every community in Goose Creek. And we're going to tell them about Jesus Christ. Why do we do it? Because this is the mission of the church. Because I'm compelled by love. Why do we give to missions? Why do we take missions trip and take our kids to Nicaragua? Why are we going next month to Montana to an Indian rev- reservation where the, the, the evidence of alcoholism is high upon the reservation, suicide higher than any part in the world? Why are we putting a church right there in the middle of Lodge Pool, Montana? Why are we going to Tanzania where they're planting churches 2,000 every single year to build a training center in September? Why are we going? Why do we give to 130 plus missionaries who are now spreading the gospel all around the world because of this verse in verse 15 and how can anyone preach unless they are sent and so we are going telling sending church we are going telling sending church we tell them in our next door neighbors and we go overseas and we tell them wherever we go because that's what our mission is but revolutionary churches need courageous leaders courageous christians Courageous Christians are consumed by his Holy Spirit. They have compassion for the lost. They comprehend the gospel. They're compelled to bring the good news. And number five, they are conscious of the results. Look, if you would, at verse number 16, and I'm wrapping this up very quickly. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? You know, it's sad. Not everyone's going to accept your message. They're going to be blinded. They're going to be hard in their heart. They're going to remain lost. And that breaks our hearts. And we can't comprehend it. We can't grasp it because it's so special to us. But I want to tell you, don't let that stop you from sharing the message. You keep sowing the seed. You keep going out. You keep telling others because some of that seed is going to fall on good ground. And remember, it's not you that brings the harvest. All we do is plant the seed. Some plant and some water. It says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 6 through 8, some will plant the seed. Some come along and water the seed. But always know it's God who gives the increase. So what do I do? I keep planting and I keep watering and I keep sowing. Some Sometimes you'll witness and you'll leave so discouraged they will shut you down. Uh, But I will tell you, a year later, they'll go through a tragedy, go through adversity. They'll remember what you told them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Someone will come along and water that seed down the road uh, and eventually, bam, it comes out of the ground. Uh, A brand new believer, a brand new child of God. I want to ask you a question today. Are you consumed by the Holy Spirit? 
filled with his spirit, praying in the spirit, uh, following his leading and guidance every step of your life? Do we really care about lost people? If they matter to God, they've got to matter to us. Do, one, do you understand the essence of the gospel? Equipping yourself in the word of God. And then he says something else. He says, how lovely are the feet of them who bring good news. Listen, your feet may be ugly and dirty and stinky and smelly. Most feet are. But we put on our $100 shoes and we march into church and we look great. But are we more concerned about fashion or do we have a passion for the lost? Doesn't matter what's on the outside. It's what the Lord thinks about my feet. Joshua 1 9, I leave you with the scripture and I close. Have I not commended you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then he tells them why. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's going with us. And we're going to do it. And we're going to be courageous. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I made the gospel this morning probably as clear as I know how. The simple gospel message. And there may be somebody in here you've never quite put it all together. You may have even come to this church for a while and and, and enjoyed what's been going on and, and you're getting closer, you're getting closer, but you're still not there. But now it's clicking. It's clicking in your brain. It's clicking in your mind. It's all coming together. Yeah, okay, I need to confess Christ as my Lord and I need to believe in my heart and I need to receive him into my life. I, need, I can do that today. So if you're here and want to invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life, I would be remiss if I let you go this morning and to give you a chance to be saved today because you've heard the gospel. And there's power in the gospel. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.